Today, we celebrate a wonderful feast in honor of St. Thomas. We know him not only from the gospel, but also from the tradition doubting Thomas. We, you, sometimes we repeat his name, not only because we do believe, but we don't believe because of the, uh, what God gave him as a sort of privileged position. You know, it is interesting that when Saint Gregory the Great, the Holy Father who wrote um, this reflection, which we have today in our reading office of readings, it's almost 1,500 years ago what he wrote, and he wrote a very interesting thing. He says, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. He was the only disciple absent. On his return, he heard what had happened but refused to believe. The Lord came a second time. He offered his side for the disbelieving disciple to touch, held out his hands and showing the scars of his wounds healed the wound of his disbelief. The belief and disbelief. Now, dearly beloved, this is what Gregory the Great, St. Gregory the Great continues and says, what do you see in these events? Do you really believe that it was by chance that this chosen disciple was absent, then came and heard, heard and doubted, doubted and touched, touched and believed? Do you think it was by accident? It was not by chance, but in God's providence. In a marvelous way, God's mercy arranged that the disbelieving people, the, disbe the disbelieving disciple, in touching the wounds of his master's body, should heal our wounds of disbelief. The disbelief of Thomas has done more for our faith than the faith of the other disciples as he touches Christ and is won over to belief. Every doubt is cast aside and our faith is strengthened. So the disciple who doubted, then felt Christ's wounds, becomes a witness to the reality of the resurrection. And St. Gregory continues, he says, touching Christ, he cried out, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen Thomas, you have believed, as you know, because, because you have seen, you believed. There's a dimension here which we're invited in our faith to do, is to accept and to rejoice, to welcome the gifts that God gives to us, to welcome the reality of Christ, to welcome everything that he gives us. And so this is when we have the uh, the reality of of, uh, of Saint Thomas is something that is special to us. He has given us something extraordinary. He invited us in a special way to place our confidence in Jesus, place our confidence in him who not only has risen from the dead, because it is not something that um, that Thomas says, which is important. He saw and he could have said, well, I see Jesus risen from the dead. He could have said that. 
I see him risen from the dead. But for, for Thomas, it was more. He says, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God, which means that the seeing, it wasn't just a seeing or recognition of something that's there. It wasn't just something that, yes, I, now I know that there's a, someone from the dead came to life. But he gave a witness to Jesus as the Lord and God. And that's why we continue to repeat generation after generation, especially when the Eucharist is elevated, that we say in the words of St. Thomas, my Lord and my God, because we believe, we believe just as he, not because we see the host, the bread, not because we see the host after the words of consecration are given, but we see in this bread, my Lord and my God. That's the faith of Thomas. This is why St. Gregory the Great says to us that there's something more here. It is clear that the faith is the proof of what cannot be seen. What is seen gives knowledge, not faith. When Thomas saw and touched, why was that? Why was he told, you have believed because you have seen me? Because of what he saw and what he believed were different things. God cannot be seen by mortal men. Thomas saw a human being whom he acknowledged to be God and said, my Lord and my God, seeing he believed, looking into the one who was true man, he cried out that this was God, the God he could not see. Beautiful reflection by, by uh, St. Gregory the Great. And so what follows is reason for great joy Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. And Gregory continues, there's here a particular rever rever reference to ourselves. We hold in our hearts one we have not seen in the flesh. We are included in these words, but only if we follow up our faith with good works, because ultimately, without, without putting it into practice, our faith is too weak. We profess to know God, and so we have to manifest that profession in action. We look at St. Thomas, and we see what, what we see. Yes, we see an example of someone who believed because he witnessed, but then his faith went beyond that because he recognized in Jesus, the Lord and God, the Adonai. He understood that here's the Lord. What can we say about Thomas? Yeah, we have a witness here, but even before, before the resurrection, what type of character did he have? You know, you may remember that when, when Jesus was going back to Jerusalem, after you remember the, there was a miracle, you know, he raised Lazarus from the dead, and many of the disciples were discouraging Jesus, don't go back there, you know that they wanna kill you. And what was Thomas's response? I want to go with you, even if it means death. I offer my life. This is the character of Thomas. Then when Jesus says, in a, before the, uh, the, uh, during the Last Supper, when Jesus speaks of, you know, you know the way, you know the way to the Father. And he says, no, we don't know the way. You've got to tell us what the way is. 
It shows a, a, a very concrete, realistic person, not only in the example of his doubt, but he, he has this, this courage to say, he has, has the courage to, to admit that he doesn't know. You have to, you're telling us, but I still don't know what that means. How is it, how can we get to the Father? How is it possible? And of course, Jesus, again, responds to Thomas. He says, Thomas, you have seen me. You have also seen my Father, because the God is invisible, and yet he became visible in Jesus. So there's a witness here again. What type of character is he? All the disciples went westward, and where did he go? Eastward. So you kind of say, well, I guess too many are going westward to the capital and of Rome and to the to the other areas there, even though Peter did swing towards east with Antioch. However, the uh, we have Thomas goes west, uh, east goes to Persia, goes to India, and there. He does not know the language because at least the disciples knew some Greek or, you know, they, they knew because it was a language of, of, of at that time wasn't exactly, uh, you know, Latin, but they were using Greek so they could understand and they could speak. Well, he didn't know in India anything. He goes all the way to, uh, you know, the old city of Madras or Chennai, Chennai today, no. And what does he do there for 20, years, he ministers, he preaches, teaches, and we have a leftover from, from that ministry and mission. In Chennai, the, 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 the cathedral there where he's buried, um, this is a place where, where he ultimately preached the gospel, and, and, and then he's lost his life in India. But he was willing to go and proclaim Christ with that incredible courage, strength, even though he did not know traditions, he did not know the language, he did not know anything. How do you go about? What do you do? And, and yet he gave witness. And today's Christians in India, where they follow the Malabar, right, or Malankar, or, or, or they profess themselves to be Christians of St. Thomas, they have an incredible strength in their faith. I have met those Christians of St. Thomas. It's like we were talking about 90% of them are strong believers. They, they, they are grateful to God that he sent his disciple to them. They're grateful for the gift of faith. I, I, I have to tell you, I was very moved by, by a family from, from the Christian St. Thomas. They're aware of what they have received. And unlike we who have so many opportunities to witness faith, we don't accept you don't exactly accept our, our responsibility, and they do. They want to make sure that everyone knows that they're believers in the Lord Jesus, they're believers in, in God who has manifested himself in his Son. That is very, very important. But another aspect of, of our faith is that what did God give us? What is God giving to us by the gift of faith? Freedom. Freedom, freedom from the slavery of fear, freedom from the slavery of sin, freedom from the slavery of being trapped in addictions, freedom. This is what St. Paul says, God has given you freedom. He has liberated you. He has redeemed you. He has saved you for freedom. 
that you may not fall into a trappings again, that you may not lose yourself, that you may not lose what you have received. And you see here today, July 3rd, maybe this is not by accident that we celebrate on July 3rd, the day before the day of July 4th, our day of freedom. Maybe it's not by accident that, that, that this feast falls here. It wasn't American bishops who made it. It was, uh, it was given to us by the church. But it is significant that it is this call which St. Thomas absolutely as every disciple and as every apostle would call people to that freedom. St. Paul says, it is for freedom that I have given you this gift of faith. It is, it is for freedom that God has called you to his relationship, to his church. It is for freedom. And sometimes I think we have to really realize what this freedom is all about. Sometimes we speak of freedom as a political reality. We speak of freedom as, as yes, as national freedom. We have the freedoms to do whatever we wish. But the problem is this, if we only look at it from the perspective of legal type of freedom or gifts that we have received, we sort of miss the point when we have to always be very careful because our freedom is rooted in the gift that God gives us. We were born with a free will. We have a, we're born with the free gifts of grace. We are to receive that freedom from God. And there will be no political freedom without our own freedom because we have to be strong enough. We have to be really men and women who understands where our freedom comes from. Our courage, strength comes from God. The closer we are to God, the freer we are because God is freedom. Just as the closer we are, we come to God because God is love, we are more loving. And same with the closer we come to God whose mercy will be more merciful. So it's, it is in God. It is not what, what 19th century philosophers especially atheistic philosophers saying, of Feuerbach or others, that when we are embracing God, that means we're embracing slavery. It's not true. It's the opposite. Because they think that if, because if there's God, then I am restricted, because then I have to follow commandments. No, it's the path to freedom. It's the path to joy, to harmony. God, out of love for us, gives us these instructions and guidelines and commandments because he wants us to be free. He wants us to be free and loving and caring for one another because he's preparing us for his kingdom. We're not prepared here just to live, you know, the 70, 80 or 90 years old on this earth and nothing there. No, this is our preparation. This is our preparation for that freedom that God gives us. And I have to say something. The, I was looking at uh, Bishop Laurie, Archbishop Laurie from Baltimore, and he made a very wonderful statement and, and he said the following. He says, before religious liberty is a political legal issue, it is first and foremost a matter of innate human dignity. For our religious freedom inheres in not on the parchments where laws are written, rather it is indelibly engraved on the human heart. When encounter the risen Lord, no matter how incredulous we have been, no matter how resistant to the gospel, when we encounter the Lord, this beautiful gift of religious freedom comes alive. It is entangled in a DNA of a response of faith, 
and love to the Lord, to the church, and to the mission which the Lord has mapped out for each and every one of us. And he says, without truth, there's no freedom. Without freedom, there's no love. Very insightful, which means that we have to follow the truth of our gospel because that's where, that's where we are rooted in. We are strong. We know and understand. We don't have to waver. God is with us. He gave us the gift of knowledge and wisdom and understanding. He gives us the gift of life. He gives us the gifts of eternal life that goes beyond the grave. We know where we are. We know where we're going. We know what we shall be like because we shall be like him. So we know the truth. We don't have to be caught up in, in the world of, of, of today so much so that we miss the, miss the point. Now, Archbishop Laurie continues, if we would re revitalize the evangel evangelizing mission of the church in our dioceses, in our parishes, or the ecclesial settings, then we must unlock in ourselves and in the people we serve a renewed sense of this freedom that lies in the depth of our being. We have to have the courage to evangelize. We have to have the courage to go out, to say, but we, obviously we don't have, we don't have that full courage. That's why we have to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us that we don't do something foolish either, because sometimes, you know, by sort of being a kind of bravado, we may actually turn this grace not, not in our favor. Now he continues, this gift is unlocked, this freedom, this gift of freedom is unlocked when we allow the Lord to free us from the slavery of sin those things that cause us to misuse our freedom to our own unhappiness and the unhappiness of those around us. This gift is unlocked when we allow the Lord to set us free from fear, to make us free to worship him without fear all the days of our life, to give us knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of our sins. In the word, we are made free when that long Last, we allow the risen Lord to touch the wounds of our existence, to heal our wounded freedom, to liberate us from the self-contained prison of our unruly desires, wants, and needs. We know that what constrains us, our freedom, is often what is called emotional wounds, disordered passions, we choose and go things after things which we know that ultimately will not bring us good. These are disordered emotions, disordered passions. These are left over from our original sin because we don't see it right. We, don't, we don't, can't grasp what's good or not good. And you know, we're watching not only the people around us, but within ourselves. Do we always choose that which God gives us and that is him, that is his love, that is his mercy. Are we able to practice it? And so, so Archbishop continues, he says, when we are liberated from this self-contained prison of our unruly desires, wants, and needs, then we are freed from mission. Our spirit is freed, our tongue is loosened, our religion is no longer contrived. Rather, we have the authenticity of true witnesses to Jesus Christ crucified and risen, witnesses who are able to engage those who have no faith, those who are alienated from the church, 
those whose faith is lukewarm, those who are at the cusp of holiness and mission themselves. Isn't this why we came here? Isn't this why we are alive? Isn't this why we are given the privilege of sharing in Christ's mission? Maybe then today, as we continue to celebrate these sacred mysteries on this feast of St. Thomas, and also on the eve of July 4th, the celebration of our national freedom, that we may receive that gift of freedom to a greater and greater degree so that we may manifest it and also assist and help our very nation to live the ideals that we're given, to have the courage to defend religious freedom no matter how it is threatened. So may we then today through the Eucharist because it is the power that God gives us through his word, instructions, guidance, and above all, he solidifies this gift by his very presence, by the gift of the Eucharist. And with the Eucharist in our hearts, what can we not be? The power, the, the grace, the love, the presence, all the gifts that flow from the Holy Spirit are given to us in Christ, in the Eucharist. We cannot be afraid. We cannot be feel that we are still too broken to do anything. No, he will empower us. And this is the gift that he gives us. He came to this earth. The Emmanuel came to this earth so that we may be like him, that we may bring forth into this world, into his kingdom, his gifts, and ultimately share those gifts in eternity, to share those gifts in paradise, the joys, and love that will never end. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.